Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm dropping this podcast on the 28th day of March 2018, and I'm recording from Sully Baseball Studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. As we're on the eve of this season starting up, I've got my predictions. I've got some stuff I'm going to present. But today... I'm going to be playing part two of my conversation with former all-star, gold glove, silver slugger, and all-around fun guy, Andy Van Slyke. We were on the phone for a while, and I realized that we talked a lot about his time with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and we talked a lot about his time with the St. Louis Cardinals. So yesterday's podcast was about his days with Pittsburgh, and today... We're going to talk about that amazing 1985 Cardinal team that he was a part of. So, please enjoy part two of former Cardinal outfielder and current podcaster, Andy Van Slyke. I have, uh, I want to just bring this up. You brought up the um, the 1985 Cardinal team. I'll get to that in a second. So you, you had a wonderful year for that team as well. But to show how different the game was in the mid-80s as it is now, that year, Ozzie Smith stole – Ozzie Smith and Tom Hurt each stole 31 bases. That and was I tied stole 30, And I stole 34, I think, that year. Her and Smith were tied for fourth on the team in stolen bases. <laughs> you, were, you stole 34. That was the third highest total. Okay. Uh, McGee stole 56. Okay. That was second. And, of course, Vince Coleman – Stole 110 bases. 110, okay. Which is, you know, unbelievable. And when you think about McGee, who had, obviously, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit, but think about that year McGee had where he won the batting title, of course. He slugged 503 with 10 homers, uh-huh. and he stole 56 bases. So that means an e- there's 56 times he either walked or got a single or something that was the equivalent of an extra base hit because he right. stole the base on it. Now think about this. He bats three fifty six that year. Yeah, take a guess how many infield hits he had. I, you know, I don't want to just, just tell 75. me seventy five. Whoa! So he hits, he hits, he hits re- relatively two seventy that year if he if he can't run. Right, seventy five infield hits that year. Unbelievable! What a great player he was. <laughs> what a great, you know, one of those. He, he's one of those players. His peak was unbelievable, just because he could do everything. You know, I'm I, I, I'm a McGee fan. He's one of those players I loved watching just because he. I, I, look, I'll say it when he his stance was one of the ugliest stances I've ever seen in my life. He looked, there was what, nothing. You know, it was it, <laughs> the only thing pretty about William McGee was what he numbers. got. Well, his numbers were about prettier than than his play. There was no question about yeah. it. He was he was the the he was the I don't know how to say it. The prettiest thing he did was when he got the first base and there was there was a ball hitting the gap. Yeah. To watch Willie McGee run from first to home was as was as pretty as anything I've ever watched. He had uh, he had a sprinter's form and he had a lean and he just really knew how to cut the bases and it was uh, it was the most exciting thing to watch. You know, was, Willie. The thing about Willie Vince Coleman was faster, mm-hmm. but Willie McGee's efficiency just looked prettier. And uh, yeah. but both obviously both of them you would you would want on your team today because they they were just both terrific players, you know, Gold Glove winners, Silver Slugger, and and you know that year in '85, 
you know, led the league in hits, led the league in triples, led the league in batting, all these things. He just was, you know, he, he slugged over 500, even though he hit 10 homers. But if you, what I'm trying to say is if you saw him at bat, he looked like, uh, this is going to sound mean because who the hell am I? But he looked like when the foreign exchange student tried to play Little League and he didn't know quite how to hold the bat and his, sure. his elbows were weird. And he had this weird squint that made yep. him look like he was a little confused. Like, is this, am I holding it right? Mm-hmm. And I would imagine coaches t- would try to want to change his swing left and right, but then he'd bat 350. Right. You know? <laughs> Don't change a thing, whatever you're doing. You know, White Herzog said he was the easiest and the hardest player he's ever managed. And when he finally figured out to, to never say anything to Willie McGee is when he became the, the best player he was. He just stopped trying to tell Willie what to do, how to do it. And he never gave him a sign either. There, Willie McGee never had a sign. He had a wonderful – As soon as, as, soon as he, he had a thought, he couldn't He couldn't play. He just – he played <laughs> strictly on eyesight and instinct. And he yeah. was a terrific player in the process of <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about that. 85 team that you were on the 85 Cardinals were one of the most exciting teams uh, I ever saw play just in terms of the, you know, how dynamic, like, as we said, as you and I caught before, you had players like McGee and Coleman and Ozzie Smith and her, like every, a ball to the, a ball to the shallow. Yeah. But the, the guys who were super fast that a, a bloop single was a threat for a double. And in the middle of it, you had this great masher in Jack Clark who could drive everyone home. And it was so much fun to watch that, that particular team. You know, it's interesting. I, I often think about that particular team with the 300 and almost 20 stolen bases as a team. Um, and the amount of defense covered, um, the, uh, you know, the fact that we had, um, a bullpen by community committee for most of the year. Then Todd Worrell comes on the scene and, and he's a shutdown closer. We had good starting pitching. John Tudor starts off one and six and goes uh, 20, 21 and seven, you know, at, at, at the end of the year, we had Wanky to Andujar. And yet this team, the 85 team hits 61 home runs in a baseball season. And it finds its way to the world series. And I often think, can this team, this 85 team, could, if you put the exact same players at the exact same age in today's baseball, what would they do against the Chicago Cubs? Or what would they do um, against the, the Houston Astros? Would they beat them or could they compete with them? And I, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to think about. In some ways, I would say absolutely. Yet other ways, I'm not so sure. Well, I mean, the closest we've seen to that is what the Royals did a few years ago. They had a, a lot of, you know, they used a lot more speed. Sure, they did. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that was kind of. But uh, their their success was their bullpen was absolutely. That's true. Yeah, I mean, their bullpen was forget it. You, you, they had a lead in the fifth; the game was over. It was right. just the way it is. And yet, having said that, when you look at that '85 team, do you realize it was the last? It was the sixth game of the World Series. Was the only time the eighty-five, nineteen eighty-five St. Louis Cardinals ever blew a lead after the eighth inning. That's unbelievable. That's un. So I, that yeah, was I the that only was, game. Yep. I so that really, bullpen. Yeah. That's my point. That bullpen was that good, and it shows you just how important a major league bullpen is. When you get a lead, and you can, 
you in today's and it doesn't matter if it's today's game or if it was 30 years ago when you get the lead in the seventh inning and you know you're going to win that's an awful comforting feeling for a team it i'm just gonna as a uh as a boston fan for years and years we've been fed all this i'll say a bad word all this bullshit about oh the curse of babe ruth or this that the other thing and when they finally won the world series uh what was the main difference they had a great bullpen you know, it's like, oh, maybe if they had a better bullpen in, in 75 or 86, you know, that would this wouldn't be an issue. And that year when they had, you know, Folk and Timlin and Embry and this it was super deep pen that they had. And yes. Folk, was un, Folk was like the unsung hero of that postseason, just, you know, shut everyone down. Sure. That was, it's like, oh, that actually, that's what will, you know, that's what will clinch it. You know, it's funny how it works. It's not curses. It's bullpens. Yes. There is no curse of the bullpen. By the way, I just I didn't know this one fact. I want to bring up one thing about the uh, '85 Cardinals, but I, I was looking up the stolen base totals as we were mentioned earlier. Just how bananas they were, especially comp- uh, compared to today's game. But uh, my my favorite stat that I read about the stolen bases on that team is someone who had three stolen bases that year was Joaquin Andujar. When a starting pitcher has three stolen I rem- bases, I remember that. <laughs> yep. yep, that that is something. And Not- I think it's the only time in the history of the game that on one pitch there were four, four stolen bases that year. Whoa. Okay. Um, all right. I'll bite. Um, explain the play because first I and second. First and second. Right. Uh, Vince Coleman's at second. William McGee's at first. Mm-hmm. Vince Vince Coleman steals third. William McGee still second. Vince Coleman overruns, oh, uh, slides over third base, gets caught in a rundown between sec, uh, between third base and home. Mm-hmm. He's he's safe at home, and William McGee went to third on the play. Jesus. <laughs> Four stolen bases on one pitch. Ladies and gentlemen, the Cardinals. That's right. You, you you got teams that will, won't steal four bases in a month in today's game. <laughs> one pitch. Um, I want to I want to ask you about one specific play in that, but I'll I'll just say I told you that I I rooted very hard for those pirate teams. Uh, a because I was a huge Bonds fan, and also because I liked the I just felt the team was just likable from afar. I was rooting so hard for the Cardinals that year. And not because I really had any affection for St. Louis or anything like that, but because of two players, John Tudor and Bill Campbell. And the reason why is I was a big Red Sox fan, and it never occurred to me I would ever see the Red Sox win the World Series. Mm -hmm. And John Tudor was a former Red Sox, and Bill Campbell was a former Red Sox. And I figured, well, if the Cardinals win, it's kind of like the Red Sox won. So that was because of Tudor and Campbell – uh, I was I suddenly became a Cardinal fan in that postseason. Soup. Yep, Soup was uh, he was something. What a guy, good guy. What, what about? I mean, I, he was on some of the earliest teams I ever rooted for. Like as, I'm talking, like as a five six year old kid, yeah. and and yelling Soup's on while in Fenway Park. So when you mm-hmm. say he's a great guy. What 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 specifically do you remember about? Well, him? he was just a professional. I mean, he uh, you know he wasn't a big talker, but uh, he always. I always remember as being very encouraging. Um, didn't say much, but he always seemed to say the right thing at the right time and and had a good sense of humor. So, you know, I mean, what more can you ask from a teammate? Good sense of humor, I think, is probably the, the most important thing over the course of a season. 
and uh and he he didn't you know he he wasn't a player that was self-absorbed you know and it's pretty hard to find not self-absorbed major league baseball players probably as you know anybody who's uh in the limelight as you you've worked with plenty of people in the limelight who right. like themselves so yeah but i've also found some of the most famous at least in terms of I've worked in television for a lot of years and I've interacted with a lot of celebrities in my time. And I found the more famous the people are, the a lot of times the nicer and and more accepting they are because they got to that place because they knew they, they're standing on the shoulders of other people. It's the people who are like the C and D listers who yeah. act like uh who act like, you know, their their crap doesn't stink. But you know, the people right. I've met who are really you know, I'm not going to mention names because it makes it sound like a no. Name it doesn't make a difference. I know what you're saying, though. Yeah, but I, it's I like, completely understand. You are uh, tangentially related to one of the most famous moments in uh, postseason in, of the 1980s, which was the the Jack Clark homer off of Niedenfuhr. Yeah, and I'm sure you, I'm sure you know this know this I mean you were on deck of course I was there yes I, yeah I, you I were, you were quite familiar with the moment but I was really close to, to what yes <laughs> I was close to the history yes yes you remember you made a mental note of that moment but um there's the famous thing when when Vin Scully lip read Tommy Lasorda which is always a dangerous thing to do with a family audience is to lip lip read Tommy Lasorda but he evidently when was asked should they walk Jack Clark? Yes. And they said, oh, and the pitch to that, and of course, Vince Scully, who's no. a gentleman. Oh, Vince did it was great. His, <laughs> his, the, way, the way he uh, was able able to cover for, for the situation was so gracious. I mean, yeah, Tommy, Tommy Lasorda said, I'm not going to pitch to that blankety-blank Vance like. <laughs> Which I'm sure he didn't say blankety blank. That was, uh... No, he did not say blankety blank. <laughs> but you can fill it in any way you'd like, and it still applies today. Yeah. <laughs> and he wound up pitching to Clark, of course. And, I mean, there's so many things about that moment that I love. That First of all, the home run was amazing. Um, the, the, trot, the trot first around pitch. first pitch. The trotter on the bases, which I am not convinced that Jack Clark has touched home plate yet. That's how close. That's how slow he was running around the bases when he hit that homer. Well, he kicked some dust on him. Let's let's give him that. That's true. Um, what uh, a couple other things I remember was that um, because there was the scrum at home plate when Ozzy Smith hit the home run in Game Five. And there was this little controversy. Did someone touch him before he hit home plate? Everyone was like the Red Sea was parted. Like, let's all see the whole team was at home plate. But like, let him touch home. Let him touch home. And do you and of course, you probably remember Pedro Guerrero's reaction to the home run, which was which was which was. You know, it, it just made that whole situation. You know, the timing was sort of the 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 when Jack Clark yelled at our clubhouse around him first before he got. What did the first he yell? Place. I to this day don't know what he said. I'm sure it's probably in the same lines with timing was sort of said like <laughs> 20 seconds before. And uh, and then Pedro Guerrero's reaction, uh, all in that all in that whole scenario just made that moment just amplified. I mean, the fact that Tommy did it, Jack did it, and then Pedro's reaction 
was just made that moment, I think, one of the, the greatest icon moments in, in playoff history. Yeah, and that was such a uh, – I'll say – and maybe it's because I was a, a, a young kid during the 80s and everything like that. But, man, it just seemed like every year there was a postseason filled – with these kind of iconic moments. It was just the game before was the go crazy home run by Ozzie Smith. And you That's had right. all these great years and great, and, 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 you know, the 86 playoffs and the Kirk Gibson homer, all these great moments, all in the Cubs in the, in Padres series the year before, all these great moments were just seemed to be shoehorned in a, you know, three or four years stretch of time. And that was, uh, that, the, the Clark I just thought, I, right. And it's just so ironic that that, Game five was one on a home run, and yeah. game six was one on a home run when a team only hits 61 home runs in that particular season. It just goes to show you the game is you just can't predict what's going to happen in this game, especially when you get in postseason. It, you can win in so many different ways. Right. And and that's, you know, I think that's what made our team dangerous. We still had the ability, obviously, anybody at any time can hit the ball in the ballpark, but the, the, the team being such a well rounded team is what made our, our team so dangerous. Yeah. And and you were you were part of that Cardinal team. And and if I'm not mistaken, I did a little bit of homework for bringing you aboard here, but you had a your first minor league manager was a coach on that team, Nick Leva. Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah, and there was third a, base, he was the third base coach, yes. And so you were a product of the Cardinal system. You came up through this great organization, winning pennants and left and right. And then before the 87 season, you're traded for Tony Pena in what I really think turned out to be a, a franchise altering season because of what the pirates did and trading away. Yeah. You know, they traded away every veteran player that wasn't nailed down and wound up putting together a team that in just a few years would be win three straight division titles. Yes, it was a, it was it was a pivotal time and you know the interesting thing about the Tony Pena trade was um and Jim Leland has said this publicly so I'm not, you know, d- disclosing anything that isn't that hasn't been out there is he was told by everybody in the organization that you cannot trade Tony Pena. He's the only star we got. And right. he said, so his his premise was, well, let me ask you a question. We've lost, you guys have lost, finished last three years in a row. You can't draw a million people. So you want me to keep Tony Pena when I can make this team better and go out and get three players for Tony Pena? So it was actually Jim Leland's idea to make that trade. He's the and, one who, who started it and finished it. And immediately the trade paid dividends because well, the vote- Lavalier yeah, had a great year. You had a great year, and um, actually, that year Mike Dunn had a very good season. So all three yeah, players. Unfortunately, Mike Dunn hurt his arm, but Mike Dunn could have been a productive pitcher mm-hmm. uh, if he had stuck around. Yeah, he was. He was a he was a high draft pick for the Cardinals, and mm-hmm. and Michael Vera won a Gold Glove in nineteen eighty seven. And you know, when when you win a Gold Glove, you know, catching every day for the first time, you're impressing people at the major league level. I mean, because yeah. it is voted out by the coaches and managers, and those are the ones who notice. Those are the real pros. You know, when it comes to awards, and uh, and I think a lot of people don't understand, I think one of the most um, prideful awards you can win as a major player is a gold glove because it's voted on by your peers and not necessarily um, you don't get that same 
projection or you don't get that same perception when it's voted by by uh, baseball writers because you know baseball writers you know if you have a bad experience with a player you may not vote for that guy and one of the reasons why Barry Bonds didn't won didn't win the 1991 MVP mm-hmm. is because all the all the writers hated him they were looking to, to to vote for somebody else yeah yeah I mean no and, and no offense to Terry Pendleton who won it and had a fine season but you take a look at the year that Bonds had yes it's not you- even close. I mean, whether you like old-fashioned statistics, newfangled statistics, advanced metrics, eyeball test, whatever you want to say, Bonds' year just was tower. I mean, again, I'm not crapping on Terry Pendleton, Braves no, fan. He's a good player. Terry but, Pendleton should have been second that year. Yeah, but it was – I mean, looking back, that's like – you know, Albert Bell's the same thing the year he didn't win and Mo Vaughn won. And – I'm a Boston fan. I loved Mo Vaughn, but even I was like, really? <laughs> really? Uh, Vaughn wasn't even the MVP of the team. <laughs> Tim Wakefield was the MVP of the team. Yeah. <laughs> you exactly. know, I mean, again, I love Mo Vaughn. He was one of my favorite Red Sox players ever, and he won the MVP. And I'm like, can we can we check the ballot on this? This is uh... – <laughs> Yep. Is this La La Land winning Best Picture? What's happening here? This is not. Uh, well, see, hey, you got to remember, this is the only way they can get back at a player. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, can they write a bad article about the, the guy? Yeah, but they can't do it viciously. They can tell the truth, but they can't. This is the only vicious thing they can do with a player is, is to keep him off the MVP balloting. Yeah, well, that's just. I don't know. I just. I think it's bananas. If you know whether you, I, as I said, I've never met Barry Bonds. I have no idea what he's like, and I fr- frankly don't care what he's like because I saw him play, and as a baseball fan, I don't feel cheated. <laughs> you know, he gave me years and years of pleasure. So, all right, thanks so much, Andy. And by the way, if you're not subscribing to it, may I recommend that you start subscribing to his podcast, View from Center Field. Uh, His latest episode features Ricky Horton, who was a member of the 85 St. Louis Cardinals as well. It was an absolute thrill for me to talk with Andy Vance. Like, we we talked about a bunch of other things. We went on some crazy tangents that I realized, all right, this doesn't really have anything to do with the Pirates or the Cardinals. And, and, but I I really hope you enjoyed the conversation we had because I had a wonderful time. He's a fun guy and a a nice guy, and he was very generous with his time. So, thanks again. Uh, Subscribe to, uh, view from Center Field on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. For me, go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. You can be old school, send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Talking with a man who played in a lot of great postseason series. As we get ready for the beginning of the season, thanks again, Andy Vance. Like this has been Sully Baseball for the 28th day of March, 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. <laughs>